This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. It's David Lasondag, structural integrator and fascist specialist at the Center for Integrative Medicine at UPMC. Welcome to another edition of Body Talk. Recently, I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down and parse the philosophical weeds about the mind-body connection with a dear, dear friend and my literal Dutch uncle, Jaap van der Waal. He is a MD, PhD embryologist and a deep, deep thinker. So we just hit record and we let the wool gather and just spun out the first part of the two-part episode of Body Talk with Yap van der Waal. Enjoy. Brain and soul mm-hmm. and mind is one of the themes that is um, troubling my phenomenological mind, you know, and uh, it's one of the themes that I had, have to include in my embryo course because the embryo is about mind and body. And my whole anatomy, my whole life, I am really confronted with the question, what, 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 is our, what is our body actually? I mean, I was the one who started to give lectures when I was 23 years old, lectures in anatomy, because I was the favorite of my professor in anatomy. And he wanted to promote me so that he could get rid of his old fashioned old colleagues and he was promoting young men. Mm-hmm. So I was giving lectures and anatomical dissection courses already when I was not a doctor myself, not, not yet. I was uh, 23 years old. And then I um, started to give lectures about the body, the philosophy of the body. And I came to the question to my students, of which body do you actually want to be a medical doctor? Because I discovered that the body that they were confronted with on the dissection room might have nothing to do with the body that they're going to meet when a patient would enter their, you know, uh, uh, room, uh, Mm -hmm. waiting room, that there are two body realities. And that is the main problem, the main issue nowadays for everything I write or think or or publish or talk or whatever. Yeah, Mm -hmm. what actually is our body and what is our mind and how is, yeah, what is the body we have to to deal with in medicine, in in uh, yeah, in osteopathy? What actually is the right body? And I think that the brain mind problem is a part of that main problem, the body mind problem or the body mind issue. And I nowadays think that brain is uh, yeah is has become the the highlight of the modern. Uh, mother mind in medicine that yeah it's the brain that produces my soul it's the brain that produces my personality and that i try to to tackle but it's difficult to to do that and uh, (laughs) yes it is i I try to to write articles and they are exercises for myself you know Mm -hmm. And when there comes something back from you that you better could start with your own personal experience, like that one that I had with my wife when she had a brain tumor. But gradually I get more and more uh, hold on 
what I would like to tell the people. And that if we reduce ourselves to brains, well, I consider that to be a risk for mankind. In, in what way? Is it too limiting? Yeah. Yeah. And that it will um, uh, bring us um, to a society um, where, yeah, the most important quality that drove us up to here, you know, all those millions of years of evolution and culture, there's a strive in us. And that is denied when it's just reduced to, oh, that's just uh, evolutionary tricks to survive. And we were the best ones. Uh, the, we had the best brain, so we survived. Yeah, if everything is about the brain, everything is about the body, there, in my opinion, is no, no future anymore. Where to go? So we're losing spirit somewhere in that equation. Yeah, in that equation, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my worry worry if if there is mm-hmm. if there is in my mind my father always talked about sin and hell. <laughs> <laughs> I had Catholic school, so I, I got a lot. I, of I got rid too. of that, but there is mm-hmm. still something worrying about me. Are we going in the right way? Are we? Is Mars where we have to go to, or is love where we have to go to? What what? Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when did you first? When did you first start observing that this was beginning to change? That somehow we were leaving uh, our spiritual life behind. If that's not, yeah, that's already several times in my biography. I met, I met that. But the, which change do you mean? Mm-hmm. Is- well, uh, if we say that our obsession with the mind. <laughs> And our co-equal, let's say, obsession with the body, at least in a performative way, or in a very, uh, in, a, in a, say, a social media context, uh, that, that we're, we're leaving our soul and our spirit behind, or forgetting about that essential component, you called it drive. Um, when, when did you first start to observe that deteriorating or changing now it's a great impossible there were incidents and one of them uh important confrontation with that was yeah my first experience as a researcher in the international congress of anatomy and morphology in london three thousand anatomists four days of congress and then for the first time I experienced, what, what, what are we doing? I had to talk, I had to bring my, my, my abstract. And there was a room with 250 chairs. And there were only seven people in that room. And I had to present my 10 minutes abstract of my scientific work about the connective tissue that later on became so important for my whole scientific career. And there were more people behind the desk, you know, the, the, the desk, the desk with the bobos, you know, where they, they were leading. And there were right. seven people. And one of them was an old girlfriend, you know, she, she met my name and we appeared to have been on the same college. And so there were actually six people interested and there were 200, 245 empty chairs. 
and and then I had ten minutes to tell my. I was so, um, I was so, yeah. How do you say it? I was so enthusiastic about the concept that I discovered. You know, that was the first time that I would, would talk mm-hmm. about that the muscle man does not exist. That the muscle man is an artifact, and there were there were seven people to listen to that. And the only thing that remained of that was a little abstract of 200 words in a big book that were all the abstract. Mm-hmm. And that, and then I said, what are we, what are we, what are we involved with, with science? What are we doing? And then suddenly I saw thousands, millions of men, you know, they were mainly men and mm-hmm. everywhere they were digging holes in the earth and others were climbing in trees and everybody was, was studying detail, detail, detail. And um, that that made me a little bit, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in despair. Oh my God, everybody in his own foxhole, you know, foxhole, mm-hmm. where, yes. where the soldiers are, and and they don't talk with each other. Yeah, they exchange. Yeah, in ten yeah. minutes, uh, in two hundred words, we're in rooms with two hundred empty chairs. Yeah, which is barely enough to begin to say hello. We here we call that silos. The big tall, you put the grains, everybody's in their little silos yeah. and they never come out. They never talk to each other. Um, so we're missing the big picture. Yeah. So what what is the big picture uh, from your point of view? Where are we going come to? So where do we come from? Mm-hmm. Where that do we became, come from? That became my main team. Where mm-hmm. do we come from? And of course, I. it were... The, the 60s and the 70s, it was the, the wave of neo-Darwinism was there and the genes came and uh, yeah, and it was clear we were a product of evolution and evolution was blind, that was just by accident and it was fantastic and, but no aim, no, no target, it was, could have been otherwise. There was, um, there was a, a Gold, the famous paleontologist, you know him? Stephen Stephen Jay Gould. Yeah, Stephen Jay Gould. Gould. And he was the first one. He said, well, we might be just a fantastic accident. You know, we are here by accident, but it's a fantastic accident. It's so brilliant. It cannot be an accident. He was the first one to doubt. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, yeah, and he stole my heart with that, with having that doubt. it cannot be that we are here just by accident and that are, it must mean something. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And my main cause, my main confrontation was what I discovered on the dissection room. That I, well, I can tell the story that what I did for th- hundreds of, no, not hundreds, Please do. tens of years, mm-hmm. going with young students 19 20 years old and confront them with a dissection room and then have with them yeah uh, we together we had an experience we had a meeting a confrontation with yeah what actually um is a dead person and what actually is an anatomical specimen what actually is a body are there bodies in these holy holes of anatomy, the holy hole. They were introduced, you know, for the first time. We didn't have body works yet, so we didn't have all these uh, modern National Geographic uh, documentaries. No, they were the first time. Mm -hmm. 
and then I discovered that yeah, that the reality of uh, the sexual has nothing to do with dead or with death. Has nothing to do with life. Has nothing to do with the human body. <laughs> it was another another construct that that kind of alien alienated yeah reality so, that they have to connect and to bring in harmony with the reality that we live in our daily lives and so so would you say that in a way when you had that epiphany it was a little bit like an archaeologist uncovering uh, an artifact or even uh, a small house and from the remains of that thing yeah. trying to reconstruct what it must have been was it a similar experience like that for you with the body as opposed to life yeah but also the conviction that you never could reconstruct from the artifact on the dissection table that you never can reconstruct from a, a brain on the dissection table a living mind or a living body there's a there's a cleft there's a there's a gap there's an abyss between the two mm -hmm. it are two completely different realities just a month ago i got this book it's dutch mm -hmm. an old 75 years old just like me nearly like me, <laughs> surgeon mm -hmm. and after 40 years working with um, surgery he started to be interested in yeah what actually are the bodies that i uh, Mm -hmm. I work with on my operating table. And then he comes to the conclusion, he says, the body, the body as a center and as an object. And he comes to the conclusion, we have, on the one hand, we have the body that we live and that we experience as our center of being. That's where we, that's where we originate from. That's where we are. And on the other hand, there is that body that is an object that you can give to the surgeon. And he does something with it that you will never be able to experience because you can never experience that he cuts you, he opens you, and that he, you know, brings things together and shoe things together. But so the body, yeah, it, still for him, it was the question after seven, after 50 years of surgery, he still had to admit, yeah, I don't get these two realities together. The reality of the body that I am and the body that I have. Uh, the body as an object and the body as a center and that is that is exactly what i experienced when i was uh, in the early 20s when i introduced students on the sex room and we started to talk because they it was always emotional when they were confronted with um with the dissection room and with the, the lab and with the prep preparation the, the specimens but most of the time I managed to first confront them with a dead corpse. And that's, you should imagine there are 20 students coming in a room, the sex room, there are tables, and there must be bodies on it because you could see that they were not like nowadays, they are just presented in the body worlds because of the plastination method. But you had still the bodies covered by towels because they had to be they were impregnated with all kinds of formalins and whatever. Mm -hmm. So there were apparently bodies on the table and they were a little bit suspicious. Oh my God, what will we find? And then I go to the first table and there I had positioned there it deliberately 
just simply the body of a dead man. So I took the towels away and there was it. And they were, they always, I did it 30 years, 35 years. They always were a little bit frightened or shocked or, oh my God, this is not what I expected, they said. Mm -hmm. And then I said, this is a dead man, a dead person. And, um, and they, they didn't know what to do with it. And so they started to ask questions. And they were not asking questions of anatomy. They were just <laughs> asking very personal questions about how sure. old was the man and why did he die of, you know. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing was that uh, they asked me to, to, can you move it? Uh, can, how, how cold is it? And they touched the body and they didn't believe it. Oh my God, this is cold. But the main thing was that after five or six minutes, they, they get bored. They didn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. That's what they said. What, what shall we do with this, sir? <laughs> <laughs> so then and what then did you do? That's when ask, you gave I him did, the scalpel? I, or? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I well, I don't know what you can do with that person. You can bury it or maybe, yeah, but what can we do? I don't know. But maybe we have more to do on uh, this afternoon. And then we went to the second table. And there was the specimen they were coming for. There was a body you know, open, there were muscles, uh, there were the nerves, everything, everything mm. was exposed. That's what the anatomists do. They expose things mm -hmm. that shouldn't be seen. And, and then suddenly the attitude of 15, 20 persons, you know, a little bit, a little bit, um, hesitating, a little bit, uh, afraid, a little bit, uh, um, on a distance, suddenly they completely changed and more or less attacked the body. <laughs> they went in it. Mm -hmm. They wanted to know. The girls always wanted to know about the womb. Mm -hmm. So I showed them the womb and they put their hands on the womb. Oh my God, this is hard. This is small. Is that really the womb? Yeah, that's the womb. And so they were completely interested and, and, and wanted to know and were involved. No hesitation, no restriction, not anymore. And there were always I think five, four, sometimes three, six uh, students that didn't join them. They stayed just like the first table. They stayed away from it. Mm -hmm. And they apparently didn't want to go to there and want to look for and find and want, didn't want to know. So I asked them, why don't you join them? Yeah, and then that, that that was my eye opener in those days and it was also an eye opener for them they said well look they said they pointed to their fellow students that were involved in the body looking for the womb and then they said look how they behave and i said well what's wrong with that that is not how you should deal with a with a with a dead person that's not how you should deal with a human body you know they look like vultures and they're grabbing their hands in the I don't want to do that. That's not that's not ethical or that's not correct. That's not mm -hmm. respectful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to confront the others with that notion of that fellow student. And important, these students that didn't join the other ones, you won't believe it. They had tears in their eyes. They were upset. You saw it on the faces. They were upset. Mm -hmm. So my first 
impression was, oh, they are, you know, they're upset about behavior of their colleagues. But there was more. Because then I confronted the students that are work, were working with the body with the objections or the comment of their colleagues. And then they said, well, I, I don't recognize that. I, I want to know what it is. And then I said to them, but maybe it helps to go back to the first table where that dead man was, where you didn't know what to do with. And then, and, and that's what, that, that's why it, it's so, it's hooked in me deeply because 35 years long, I did it with hundreds of students and always, always without any, and until 10 years ago, when I stopped, stopped, stopped to work as a naturalist on the university, always one of them said, or two of them said, well, but this here has nothing to do with that there. The dead person, the dead man we started with, has nothing to do with this. And that was the eye-opener for everyone. We, we are talking about the, two, human, two different human bodies. The dead person is another reality than the anatomical specimen. And at the end, they were reassured. Because at the end, they managed to take a whole arm from the table or to take a brain from the table. And they had brains in their hands. And, and it was, they, they were, they were anxious to met dead. They were anxious to met, you know, that maybe there was some, some spooky, spooky reality on the dissection, but they were, so to say, they, they, be, it was comfortable to realize, oh, it are just brains. And, and again, I asked them, is it okay now with you? Yes, yes, it's okay. It's very interesting. And what do you remember on the first table? Oh, yes, that man, that has nothing to do with this year. So they, they spontaneously, mm -hmm. they spontaneously opened the abyss or the gap between, yeah, the reality of the anatomical specimen, the reality of the, of the muscle man, of the anatomy body, and the reality of dead living, yeah, apparently being dead is a kind of life, a kind of a life form, but okay, yeah. the dead human body. And that, that never left me. That even people, and you can say, well, you manipulate. I didn't manipulate them. I just confront them with two realities. And they mm -hmm. spontaneously said, it has to do nothing with each other. So I said to them, there's a problem. Because it must have to do with it, with each other. Because never your patient will come in with yeah, his anatomical reality. He will always come in with his own personal primary reality. And you will never be an expert of that. You will never know anything about how it feels to have that body or to have a, a disease or whatever, or a defect, defect or in that body. You always have, be, you have to be the expert of the other reality. Yes, I, I always tell my patients the first time I see them, I may be an expert <coughs> in these parts and pieces and how they fit together, but that does not make me the expert in you. So yeah. you have to tell me about what you're experiencing. Maybe for many people, very logical to say when you deal with two persons, when you and I talk with each other, when mm -hmm. you and I uh, embrace each other. But this was the reality of the anatomical body, the body, the human body of the anatomy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, their own bodies. And so they experience actually, yeah, there is a gap. There is a difference. It's so what, what can we learn from the anatomical body? 
in your opinion, after all this time? How it looks like. <laughs> How it works. On my insight. It's the insight of it. And we don't live with the inside of our body. It's very pathological whether I now would see your lungs or your, your abdomen or your guts. That happened on the Obama beach. No, the o Omaha beach. Obama Omaha beach. beach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Omaha beach. Yes. D-Day. Yeah. yeah D-Day. Mm -hmm. That is, that is frightening. That is pathology. So this is a pathological body, the anatomy body. Normally it shouldn't be there. Yes. You used to say a good body is invisible. Good body is transparent. A good body, my body, functions the best when I'm not aware of all these anatomical things and organs and, and body parts that are working. A good body is transparent. Pain reminds me of a reality that normally, in normal life, should be transparent. And suddenly, it's, the anatomy body is the present body. And... The living body is the body I am, is the transparent, is the disappearing, the, yeah, body. My student, and a beautiful story, my students mm -hmm. knew that. They, they had drunken too much, you know, they were drunk. Mm -hmm. So they fall asleep on the floor or on the sofa. And then the next morning, you know, they had an arm, they couldn't move anymore because they slept all night on the brachial plexus. Everybody knows the experience. Yes. And that arm really was an arm. You, you know, you, <laughs> had to, you have to take it and you couldn't move it and it was heavy. And and, was, uh, and of course, they were, in their drunken minds, they were very, oh my God, my arm, I cannot move it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I always you know, imagined the, the story. Well, then I said to them, okay, easy, easy, just wait. Oh, and they wait. And then there came needles, you know, the, and suddenly the arm disappeared. And then everything was okay. So that's the secret of the brain and the mind and the body. Yeah, if we, in our daily life, there is no split between mind and body. My body is my mind or my mind is my body. That, but when you separate it, you get pathological conditions, you get pathological reality. Don't let it be true, David. Because if it's true, whole medicine is based on a pathological body. I'd like to think we've learned a lot about pathologically being able to dissect out and look at all the parts, yeah, but we don't put it back together into a functioning whole um you know a doctor should be like the chief engineer on a ship mm. they don't necessarily they're not necessarily able to personally fix all the things to keep the ship running but they understand how all the parts of the ship work together yeah, yeah, to yeah, create the whole but when you're dealing with people they're much more complicated than a ship yeah, it gave us a lot, it, it, and still gives us gives us a lot. Whole medical science is based on that, but that's not. Still, doesn't tell anything about me and human mind and human spirit or humankind. So, are you familiar with the idea of what's being referred to as narrative medicine? Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. The narrative method 
is also methodologically the method of the phenomenologist. The great philosophers, Husserl and Le, uh, Merleau-Ponty, mm -hmm. they started with the narrative reality, the reality that you experience, the anecdote, anecdote reality, which is also a reality. Maybe it's not the reality, but it's an aspect of reality that nowadays is is bleaching. I mean, we are so focusing on brains nowadays. And, and the funny thing is that when people talk about their brain, I hope for them that they do not mean their anatomical brain. Nowadays, you know, it's my brain that, that makes me anxious or it's uh, <laughs> uh, my, my brain that is telling me uh, stories or my brain is giving me illusions. Okay, but they mean, of course, they mean themselves. Or the mind. Yeah, or the consciousness. Mind. You have the yeah, brain, yeah. you have the mind, yeah. and you have yeah. consciousness. And are those all the same thing? I don't think they are. And the anatomist and the scientist told, yeah, that is your brain. No, that is not my brain. That is the brain <laughs> I live. And it's not the brain of the physiologist and the neuropsychologist. That's an, that's also that dimension is here. But when I talk about my brain is... Uh, Googling me, you know, that's that's a modern expression, uh, mm -hmm. uh, producing illusions. Yeah. They mean simply the soul of Descartes. They simply mean the spirit of Aristotle or whatever, but they call it now brains. Like they call the anger, the, uh, um, the um, adrenal glands, you know, my adrenaline. But because of my adrenaline, I jumped over the rope. Of course not. No, you, you know jumped over the rope because you wanted to jump over the rope. Yes. So you produce the adrenaline to help you do it. Yeah, but take care. Am I active in an adrenal gland so that the adrenal gland starts to produce? Or is this me, I mean the me, the me in my head, is right. that me activating my adrenal gland? No, I think that is the me in my adrenal gland. What I try to tell people in my, no, not try to tell them, I try to, to give them at least the notion that the whole body is mind. Not only the brain, not only the sense organs, not only whatever, my heart. I heard a famous scientist in the fascia domain talking about the guts and that the guts were innovated by a nervous system and that there was fascia and nerves and it was full of nerves. And that was the same as the guts that you have when you say uh, you don't have the, you know the guts that you use in your in your in your language. Uh, yes, yeah, having the guts to do so. Having the guts, yeah. and he mm -hmm. made it similar. He really think that the mm -hmm. guts that I have are the same guts as in the body with the loops and the, and the nerves there. Well, if if you whether you want to call it the mind or you want to call it consciousness, it makes sense to me looking at the innervation not just in the brain or in yeah, the yeah, gut course, but in yeah. the heart that yeah. that it's everywhere in the body and the brain is just i'm not sure what the brain <laughs> i was going to say a traffic manager i was going to say the chip yeah but the, coordinator the, yes yeah. the air traffic controller <laughs> yeah or co or consciousness yes um, awareness enabling mm -hmm. not producing enabling mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. your heart we still use the heart as a metaphor. Yeah, we call it a metaphor. Is it a metaphor? Is it a metaphor when I say, I love you, and my hand goes, you can hear it, goes on my heart. I love you with all my heart. Everybody understands what you mean, 
everybody understands that you do not mean the anatomical heart with the coronary vessels. Yes, they they understand you mean something more than yes. that. It's <laughs> symbolic it's, of that. It's symbolic it's not, of that. Yeah, but you use the word more. And that's what people always accuse me of. That I consider the living body, the body that I am, as more than the body that I have. No, no, no. It's equal. Equivalent in our polarities. It are different aspects of the same. So it's not that this the body, my heart that with which I love you is not more than the heart that is the, with my coronary vessels that I have to give to the cardiologist. No, it is different. And I once heard, saw a Dutch, very famous Dutch biologist. He developed all kinds of uh, courses for, for children to talk about animals and bodies. And he once came in, in a group, 20 children, with a bleeding heart. There was the heart of a pig, you know, he bought it at the butcher, mm -hmm. and there was still blood dripping <laughs> on his hands. And he showed that to the little children. And he said, well, dear children, this is the organ with which your mother loves you. Fatal, fatal. I mean, for a young ch child's mind to, get, be, to, to become indoctrinated with this delusion, that's a delusion that this heart, this anatomical heart, is the heart with which I love you. No, it is a condition for the heart with which I love you. Of course, when I didn't have a beating heart in my, in my body, I couldn't have a heart to love you. So the, there is a split. There's a deep abyss between the two realities and there is oneness. It is one. So how do we begin to bring this split together? By also taking serious, and that is my phenomenological mind, that is the, let's say, um, narrative um, approach, not only to take serious what you can see with your eyes in a dissected uh, reality body, but also to take serious what your experience of your body is telling you. My, my consciousness, for example, has many, many qualities and levels. And for example, of a brain, I, I don't experience anything of the brain. At this no. moment, no. At this moment, I have thoughts in my head, or maybe anxiety or... Um, aggression but but not a brain the secret of that body is that it when i live it when i have it when i am it it is um transparent for that else that other dimension in me a good body serves my mind and a good body would not produce my kind because then it would be constantly conscious of the body that's producing my mind that's a, that's an, that's a delusion right you'd be aware of every single thing going on inside simultaneously yeah and and that's what it, that's one of the essence in my embryology courses to show people that there is a deep everywhere in all dimensions polarity as it is about consciousness that the awareness is not equally distributed uh, in the body, but that there is a huge polarity between 
domains, organs, uh, body, body domains where you are able to become very conscious of. And there is also a very dominant, a very broad domain in your body and organs and body parts where you should not become aware of. I mean, awareness of my liver, although my liver is doing all day, it's working all day, maybe even as complicated as a brain. It, it's, I mean, biochemically, it's the most complicated organ we have. But I should not have one thread or one signal of awareness of it. If it comes, there's pathology. If I become aware of liver, if I become aware of my guts, there's something wrong. What about when that awareness arises out of an emotional event as opposed to physical or self-induced damage, say? And by that, I mean, like, by drinking too much, you're going to have a liver problem and you're going to be aware of your liver. And I, I take this back to something that happened to me myriad years ago when, to keep it simple, there was a, there was a great schism in my life and I made some difficult but necessary choices. Uh, the, the, the decisions were easy to make, uh, but that didn't mean that the emotional echoes from that decision uh, were just going to fade in an hour or two. But I was left in the back lateral quarter of my liver, this feeling like, like a barb, uh, like a mace, you know, like the medieval mace, like a spiky ball. And I actually went to a psychologist who taught me Buddhist focusing techniques on how to sit with that and not get anxious about it and not catastrophize about it. I was worried the longer it stayed there, the more it would become an actual physical pathology. Uh, I also got some manual visceral manipulation where they claimed uh, one of the triangular ligaments of my liver was stuck. And if we just do that and do this, it'll be fine. Well, it it helped, but it wasn't the whole story. So this for me yeah. was a big opening into the mind, the body, the emotions and physical manifestations that seem to occur without a physical trauma. I tend to think that every part of your body, the visible, the invisible, the organs, the body parts, everything, is psychosomatic, is body-mind, is mm -hmm. psychosomatic. But That used to be a dirty word. Yeah. And but, I think we should rehab it. Yeah. Everything is psychosomatic. Every, everything is soul and body. Everything is mind. But consciousness is the relationship between the two. And mm. that's one of the main things that made me so enthusiastic in all those last 15 years when I worked with fascia and became member of the fascia research circles, that everywhere, on every look, level you look, is it cellular level? Is it tissue level? Is it organ level? Is it body level? Is it social level? If, follow Neil Teeson, you know, if it, if, even in the cosmos, you have only two possibilities, connecting or separating. Mm -hmm. And so for psychosoma, they can be connected intermingled you know deeply involved with the other and maybe also separation and that is what i discovered in the embryo in the embryo of course if you are a mind body you are involved in body 
in shaping it, in performing it, in, in yeah, wherever you wish the wisdom that you know that comes from, not from a brain, because there is not even a brain, but with full of wisdom, the organism in you yeah, starts to shape and organize the body. And then you can say, well, my mind body is very deeply involved and connected and with each other shaping. But then, ten, then apparently there are organs where the shaping more or less comes to, yeah, form. And the process slows down and there comes dying or form, formation, anatomy. And then you see the possibility of becoming aware of conscious, consciousness. So could it be that consciousness is an act of the psychosomatic dimension we are, and that it has to do with what I call the in-between, that if body and mind are deeply involved, you sleep. But when they are separating and the body more or less tends to go to the definitive end of form and anatomy, then consciousness wakes up. And that you have organs maybe in between, like the heart, where every time you have a contraction that you nearly die in the absolute contraction of your heart, and there's also the leaving uh, to let it go, and then it completely relaxes, and then you have more or less a kind of body psycho relation of going in going out going in going out connect disconnect maybe that's that are the essential words connection disconnection connection separation and the psychosomatic being mind and body yeah create or yeah create consciousness and that's why consciousness has so much levels and appearances and that's why the consciousness of your liver is a sleeping consciousness that it does not know that you are not there. You are there with all the wisdom you had when you shaped the liver. But in other organs, like your muscles and maybe your eyes and your brains, yeah, there it comes to awareness. There you become aware of body and mind, of body and psyche, something like that. Okay, that seems like a good place to end part one. Certainly much to contemplate. And we will continue next week on Body Talk with part two of Yap van der Waal and the Mind-Body Connection. Till then, see you next time. This is David Lasondak. Thank you for listening to Body Talk. If you enjoyed what you heard, please hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of the show, go to patreon.com slash bodytalkradio. This is David Lasondak saying, remember, it's all connected. See you next week.